turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the back of the pew there. We are continuing our study through 1 Timothy. And last week we looked on at the call from chapter 4 to be on guard from false teachers and the solemn warning that it, say, that it says in verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. The, the warning there, the somber warning in reality is that I think all of us would say that we know people who once were walking with the Lord and are no longer walking with the Lord. And the wonder of that is that your kids, my kids, are not immune. That Satan is a deceiver, a schemer, a liar. And if we are not disciplined in the Word, if we have not disciplined ourselves for godliness' sake, as it says in verse 6, then many will fall away. And we're not talking about losing salvation there. The reality is, is... You know, some will fall away. That's what it teaches. And at the end of the day, God himself is going to be the one that separates the wheat and the chaff, the wheat and the tares, as it talks about in Matthew 13. And oftentimes, we're not smart enough to know the difference. And it's only through discipline, we, we, through, through, for godliness sake, we saw in 2 Peter 1.10, he says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. He's pointing to obedience. He's talking to, pointing to godliness. He's pointing to discipline there. He just said in verse 3 of 2 Peter 1, seeing that his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness, see to it that you add to your faith. He talks about diligence and discipline and all these things. Proof. Obedience. First John talks about that a lot. The assurance of our salvation in, in our obedience, in our wanting to glorify, wanting to honor the Lord, wanting to serve the Lord. If that's not there at the very least, you ought to ask yourself some hard questions. And today we turn to chapter 5, building on that. And he, say, he says, he goes into to not rebuking an older man and honoring widows and, and elders. And, and what I want us to see this morning, I think what ties all of those things together is the idea that who we are as a body of Christ, this local assembly of believers here in Odessa, Florida, we, we've got to see ourselves as a family. And that's the main point you'll see on your hand out there. Believers must see each other as a family and intentionally intentionally seek to care for one another as family. I think one of the great dangers that we face, not only going through the motions here and not grasping the, the reality that some will fade away, that, that truth matters, that of just going through the motions, is, is week after week we, we can come here and not enjoy the relationships that are in our midst not enjoy each other as a family, not see each other as a family, not see each other as, as co-laborers, not, not see each other as, as also going through the process of sanctification, of encouraging one another, as it says in Hebrews 
10.24, do not forsake the assembling together, but, but encourage one another. We're family. As a believer, all of us are on this journey as believers of becoming more and more like Christ. Sanctification. Family. Encouraging one another. That's when Romans talks about weeping with one another, rejoicing with one another. Why? Because we're family. I mean, we sit pretty much, most of y'all, for the most part, you sit in the same quadrant. Let's just say that. You may vary a couple of rows. Hampton showed up today. They took somebody's seat that's been sitting there a little while. Other visitors will show up. And they'll, but you, you didn't move far. Do you know the people on your row? You know the people in the row behind you? The people in the row in front of you? More than just a, hey, how you doing? More than just the, the, the greet if you, when you have to? We're family. I mean, you look to your left, you look to your right. Those, those to your left, those to your right who are truly, truly believers in Jesus Christ, truly believers in Jesus Christ, have put their hope in Jesus Christ alone for their righteousness, for the forgiveness of their sins. Those are your brothers and your sisters. They're family. They're not just acquaintances. They're family. The, the question is, do you see them as such? Greater question than that is, do you care for them as such? Do you see their needs as important as your needs? Do you care for their needs as you would your mother or your father or your brother or your sister? Because that language permeates this whole section. Look, look at verses 1 and 2. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. To the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, to the younger women as sisters in all purity. Again, he's continuing what he just talked about, about paying. Look at in verse, even in chapter 4 of uh, verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching, and in this you will ensure salvation for yourself and for those who hear. He's talking to Timothy, but we're a family. Brothers and sisters, fathers. Mothers treating them as, as family. E even as we get into elders here, I mean, uh, wi and widows here, and these become very emotional, emotional things, especially with what Paul says here. But do we see do we see each other as family? Do we see widows in our midst as family? Do we see our, our elders as our, as our, our fathers uh, in, in kind there, as such? Fathers. Do, do, do we understand that how we treat each other as a, as a body, how we treat each other as Christians, the gospel is at stake, God's glory is at stake? Much is at stake in how we live and how we obey and how we pursue one another. We as a church ought to be aggressively attending to the needs of one another that the world would not have to, that we would take care of our own. He talks about in Galatians, do good to all men, but especially those in the household of faith. Especially. So specifically in this, in this context, I want to see the relationships of family. I want to show us the, 
the family dynamic with regards to widows, but then also with, with regards to elders. But that family motif, that family theme permeates this whole section, family. And so verses 3 through 16, here's what I want us to see, and you see it on your handout. The church has a responsibility to care for widows, but our response to them as a church varies according to their specific situation. It's not a one treatment for all. There are conditions here. All throughout Timothy, he calls us to do certain things, and then he gives qualifications or conditions. And, and it's the same here. If, if you were to look throughout the Bible, we, we spent six weeks looking at orphans and, and how we are to respond to orphans. Almost always, widows and orphans are tied together. Almost always. You can look throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, God has a special concern for widows. If you were to go to Psalm 68.5, God says this, I will be a father to the fatherless and a judge for the widows is a God who in his in a holy habitation. In Psalm 146.9, the Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. In Deuteronomy 27.19, cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, an orphan, and a widow. James 1.27, as we saw for six weeks, we dug into that pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress. Almost unilaterally across the Bible, widows and orphans are tied together. We're clearly called to serve orphans. That, that, that did not end when our six-week study ended. Just as we're clearly called to serve widows. And how we do this matters. E even how we, again, even how we confront and rebuke one another matters, even whether that's an elder or a not, family. It matters. And, and even, in our, even in our caring for one another, even in our rebuking of one another, even when our dealing with sin, it's love, it's caring. Wh why do we confront each other in sin? It's redemptive, it's to bring them back, it's to... Bring them back before more harm is done to them and the gospel and the body of Christ. But it's, it's all motivated by love. It's all motivated, motivated by a family atmosphere. Those who are being led astray, grab them and bring them back. Those who are following lies, grab them and bring them back. Those who are about to enter into sin, grab them and bring them back. Why? Love. And, and Paul here specifically is dealing with, with a group of, of individuals that are, that are widows. And, and even here, he gives qualifications. He gives different guidelines for different groups within the category of widows. What he says is not every widow is going to be treated the same. And this is where it can get really emotionally charged, all sorts of questions, all sorts of justifications. Paul is not arguing about the loss that you've suffered as a widow. He's not minimizing that at all. There are, along with widows, we have ladies whose husbands have basically abandoned them and, 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 and uh, for whatever reason, in a sense, they are like a widow. Paul's not minimizing that. The pain and the heartache here is very real, and it doesn't deny this, but what Paul does do is give Timothy wisdom in how to minister to these different situations. 
And, and you have to remember, Paul is writing this to Timothy in a specific cultural context. It's not that we wipe this away. It's just we have to understand there were no 401ks. There were no life insurance. There were no assisted living facilities. None of that. And our tendency today, our tendency is to pass off our responsibilities onto other people. Is to, to, to live in an effort to live for self, in an effort to make our life as easy as possible, in an effort to not inconvenience us the least amount. We want to pass off responsibilities, whether it's people or things. We, we tend to not do what God has called us to do. And, and what was happening, even in a greater sense, is some of these widows were the very ones, if you go to 2 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 2, who were causing division in the church. And so Paul is giving wisdom on how to minister to these women. And, and some, of these, some of these divisions might be, are probably rooted in, the, in why Paul gives differing instructions to different widows according to their situation. So what I want us to see today is I want us to see the different ways that we minister to widows according to their situation. But I also want to see, I also want to hopefully deal with how we deal with our elders as well. But you, you'll see on your handout there, again, differing ministry according to their circumstances. And, and again, Paul offers four different instructions that guide our ministry to a widow. That guide, they guide. And the first thing he does here, he says, older widows without family to help care for them become the primary responsibility of the church. Older widows who have no family are the primary care. They become the primary care of the church. Look at verse 3. Honor widows who are widows indeed. There you have it. He's not arguing whether you're a widow. If you have children, are you a widow? You're a widow. But you're not a widow in the strictest sense here. And I say that cautiously. I'm not trying to offend. Like I said, I'm not trying to belittle the fact that you're a widow. I'm simply saying what Paul says is that honor widows who are widowed. See, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Verse 5 goes back to what he said in verse 3. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Paul, Paul begins to set forth qualifications here and there's a, there's a class of widows who have no one else to rely on other than their fellow believers. Truly widows in the strictest sense here. And what Paul is saying is that you don't care for every widow the same. And again, that can get emotional. That can get sticky. That can, that can bring out all kinds of thoughts here. But, but it's clear from verses 4 and 5, that's what he's saying. He, he's saying, care specifically for the widow who has been left totally alone. The church is to step in and, and be their family. To replace the family that they do not have any longer, for whatever reason, the church is to step in and to be that family. 
And what he's saying is the widow that has no family, you'll see it in handout, and the church, fellow believers, become their family. They do what their children and grandchildren would have done. You go down to verse 9. Further qualifications, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a good reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she's assisted those in distress, if she's devoted herself to every good work. We'll deal with it in a minute, but look at verse 11. But refuse, refuse to put younger widows on the list. Again, qualifications. There are qualifications here for, for how we use wisdom to minister. And what he's saying is the church should honor widows that have no family and who live for the Lord as evidenced by their lives. No family and clearly have lived for the Lord. This is, again, not implying that we disrespect other widows. But what he's saying is the church is, becomes the primary caregiver for widows who have no other family and and it's interesting he uses the word honor there the greek word translated honor really has a double meaning the first the first way that word was used it was the idea of a price that was paid or received And, and it came to be known for honor or esteem that was attached to something due to its value you know what he's saying that widows are valuable you know how the church shows that by faith in how they love on them. By faith in how they care for them. Are your children valuable? Are your parents valuable? Yeah. He's saying the same way you treat widows who do not have family as your own family. You take them in and you care for them. But the word also can mean material support. If you go down to verse 17, we'll get there. And again, these are uncomfortable verses as well for me to teach as an elder. He says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. We're going to see that that has to do with money. It's okay for an elder to be paid. Amen. No. You know, I thought about this last night. We, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very, Brian, to be very cautious with my words. We did not sleep well last night. Um, about 12.30, I thought for a few moments that this passage was going to have more applicability to Karen than I had wanted. She, she woke me up about 12.30 and thought somebody was in the house. And, you know, I, I, mean, I'm th- I, I mean, not to be funny, but, you know, you wake up, you're in dead sleep, and I, I fell down twice trying to put pants on. <laughs> then both legs ended up in the same leg of the pants. Then I couldn't find the bat that I keep next to my bed for those kind of situations. I literally I said, Karen, this dude can have whatever he wants because I am clearly not going to win this battle. I can't even get dressed. Like, I, I was done. So I'm, I'm walking around the house trying to be stealth, you know, peeking out. I'm thinking, look, if I have to run, I can't run because both my legs are in the same pant leg. I got no weapons. Like, this is how it's going to end. Church, care for Karen. Just take care of her. But the reality is, should something happen to me, the church would be Karen's responsibility. Or the Karen would be the church's responsibility. Yeah, take whatever it is. The church is already her responsibility. We all, we all know who leads this church. 
we just want to stay a part of the Southern Baptist Convention so we don't call her pastor. <laughs> but Paul is saying that, that the, the, the woman who has no family, who has devoted herself to godliness, has devoted herself to the Lord, she becomes the church's responsibility. There's no getting around that. I mean, that, that's very clear from here. And, and again, there, we have those individuals in our midst. We also have widows in our midst who have children. So th- those ladies, their family is, are their primary caregivers. We certain doesn't mean we won't help. I'm saying that the church is not their primary caregiver. Their family is. Widows who have no family. Then he goes on to say older widows with family are to be cared for primarily by their family members. That's what he says also in verses 4 and 5. If any widow has children or grandchildren, those children and grandchildren must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and listen, and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. You know how you pay your parents back? By taking care of your parents. And, and unilaterally, again, I don't just take this for caution. This is not an indictment. This is a caution. I don't know your heart. I, I, I have a, a mother who had two parents. Both of her parents had dementia and needed a great deal of care, and they were in a facility to help administer to that care. Esther runs one of those facilities herself. But we have to be very care and careful in how we especially in America, care for our parents. It's real easy to pass them off onto other people so that we can do what we want to do and live how we want to live. The highest highest per capita amount of assisted living facilities in those facilities, you know where that is? America. The nations that have the highest, Singapore, those nations, their populations, dwarf ours, you will find rarely any of those. Why? Because they take care of their family. That those cultures take care of their parents. They understand this. And again, I'm not, it's not an indictment. There, there are conditions. Esther and David do a great job. I'm there every other Wednesday. They do a great job of caring for those individuals. It's not an indictment. I'm saying we have to ask our heart. Because what Paul is saying here is that serving your family is a demonstration of your faith before a watching world. It's a demonstration of your faith. And in fact, if you go down to verse 8, look what he says. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse, worse than an unbeliever. Strong indictment. Denied the faith worse than an unbeliever. Fundamental, fundamental display of our faith. Caring for mom and dad as they get older. Fundamental display. How we do that. Underlying responsibility. Kids, when you're young, obey your parents. When you get older, you know what your your responsibility is? Honor your father and mother. You know how you honor your father and mother? By caring for them. By making, like Paul says here, making a return. Making a return. 
And it's interesting, the word here for provide literally means, you see it on your handout, to think ahead, to take thought of. Some of us need to be making plans and arrangements right now so that we will be able to obey this verse. Don't wait till it happens. Don't be surprised by it. Make plans. Make it a part. Be mindful. Literally, it means make a plan. Again, remember the word we said for orphans was intentionality. Same word here, intentionality. If you, if you don't provide for your family, not luxury, but if you don't provide for the needs of your family, he's saying you're worse than an unbeliever. Dad's in this room working, mom's working. If you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an unbeliever. And again, the church in that case, widows who have children, the church is not intended to be their primary defense. The sons and the daughters are. Why? God designed that as an act of faith, as a demonstration of your love. John 13, 35, 34 and 35. This is how the world will know you're my disciples, how you love for one another. How you honor in this situation, honor mom and dad. And if the family can provide for older widows, they should. If they have no family to provide, the church comes in. And, and he continues to go, go even farther in, in verses 11 through 15. Younger widows are to remarry and thus be provided for that way and avoid sin. Younger widows remarried. Verse 11, but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires in regards of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle. They go around from house to house and not merely idle, but they're gossips, busybodies, talking about things that are, in, that are not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Same, same thing you see in Titus 2. Older women, do what you do for the glory of God. Younger women, live how you live for the glory of God, so that the enemy will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Same verbiage. Why, why we care for people the way we do, why we it, it encourage some to do certain things, it's the glory of God. And, and the clear danger, Paul says, the clear danger, you see it on your handout, for these younger widows was idleness and gossip and falling into the errors of the false teachers. The, the, the word used to describe these women in 5.13 is the same word used for false teachers in chapter 1, chapters 4, and chapter 6. In their idleness, they were actually turning away from their faith in Christ. They were promoting false teaching. They were gossiping. They were marrying on the basis of sensual desires. They were not marrying men who were believers. And Paul is instructing them to the church, you don't support them, but rather you go get married and devote yourself to your husband and allow him to provide for you. That's what he says. But, but lastly, even amongst those, even amongst all those widows, it's interesting in verse 5, he says, Widows are not to be given, a, widows are to give their situation over to the glory of God, not the gratification of self. The underwriting theme that, that helps us as a church determine who we will support is that right there. 
to, to 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, whatever circumstance you find your in, yourself in, live it out to the glory of God and to the service of others. Again, verse 5, she who is a widow indeed and is left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. There's a reality that an older woman, specifically in this case, who is being cared for by the church, has the time where others may not to devote themselves to ministry that others may not have the time or the freedom to do. And rather than being self-indulgent, Rather than using your, your time for your own advancement, Paul says use your time for the advancement of God's kingdom, not your own. You, you'll, be, you'll be freed up in your retirement, let's say, or in your older age to devote your time and talents to certain things that young moms may not be able to do. And that's exactly what Paul says over in, in 1 Corinthians 7 with regards to singleness in general, listen, listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and following. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure, listen to this, to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Undistracted devotion. He's saying, use your, use your circumstances for the good of the glory of God and His kingdom, not your own. The word in verse 6 there, want, but she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. The word there for wanton pleasure literally means to live in luxury. In Ezekiel 16, God condemns Sodom for that very thing, that they were living for their own luxury. They had abundant food, they had careless ease, and they did not help those who were around them. And God condemns Sodom for that. Paul is saying, don't live for yourself. The, the older woman, the widow in this case, who lives for self, for wanton pleasure, it says they're dead even while they live. You're insensitive to the things of God and to those around you. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. Same, same words called for for deacons and elders. You, use your circumstance. To the glory of God. Use your circumstance to glorify God. And before we move on to elders, I want to encourage us with just some practical, practical lessons as a church, individually, corporately. And you see them on your handout. And, and the first one is this. Godly families are at the heart of a godly church. Godly families are what make for a great church. Obedient families. And as godly families, number two, we have a responsibility to honor and care for our elderly parents, especially widows. You, you, you say you love the Lord, take care of your parents. 
Prove it. Take care of your parents. You say you love the Lord? Look after the rest of the body of Christ. Use your time for the glory of God, not the glory of yourself. We have a responsibility. But not only, not only those, number three, godly elderly people can make a valuable contribution to the cause of Christ. And, and I'll forever be reminded of, of Zerny. And I think about him often. I, I'll never forget the, the day that he walked into my office one Sunday morning crying because at 91 years old, he didn't feel like I was using him enough. 91. Weeping. I mean, he comes in, he says, Chris, I've got a problem with you. I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. I can make all y'all mad. I knew I couldn't make him mad. He said, you're not using me enough. You're not giving me enough stuff to do. I mean, he was used to carrying a big burden around here. 91. There, there was not a time that I would go by his house uh, each week and spend time with him, and, and the time would be spent in prayer. Oftentimes I would walk in the room and it would be interrupting his prayer. He couldn't do a whole lot, but here's what he could do. He could pray and listen, every single day, all day, Esther and David will tell you, prayed. There's a man, Eddie, who lives at one of Esther's facilities and, and you talk to Zerny about Eddie. Here's what he'll say. He's a praying man, regularly prayed. He did exactly what the Word of God called him to do. He took advantage of his situation to the glory of God. But four, godly living affects the practical areas of life. Godly living affects the practical areas of life. Every area of our life. Whatever we're doing to the glory of God. And we as a church, how we care for widows... Not only orphans, but how we care for widows says a lot to the world around us with regards to our belief and who God is in the gospel. And we can, we even as, even with young families, we can use those things as an excuse not to do what God has, excuse me, called us to do. If we're too busy to take care of our own, we're busy with the wrong things. We, our priorities have fallen on the wrong things. Why? Because we're family. And, and those amongst us who meet the qualifications, who have real needs, we as a family have to ha assume the responsibility of meeting those needs. For the gospel's sake, for the glory of God. But, but not only, interestingly enough, not only how we care for widows matters, but in verses 17 through 25, Paul talks about how we care for our elders matter. And the church has a responsibility, number two on your handout, not only to widows, but has a responsibility to care for elders. And this includes their salary, their reputation, and their walk with the Lord. And that's what he talks about in verses 17 through 24. And these are always, and when I preach through Galatians chapter 6, it talked about these are always awkward, awkward sermons to, to preach and passages when you're preaching about your own salary. That, that's, that's awkward. I'm sure visitors here, you're like, this is just what you wanted to hear. You showed up and the, the pastor's begging for double honor. Here you go, here you go. I think if you come here regularly, we don't talk about money. Why? Because this is a very generous church. I, I, 
I don't struggle with this right here because in the five years we've been here, this church is always, always taking good care of us. Idlewild, that's the reason most of their pastors have been there 10, 15, 25, 30 plus years. Why? Because they honor this verse. And, and look, we're, we're not, obviously, we're not about money. We're about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're, we're about proclaiming His word. We're about teaching truth. But listen, the beauty of teaching through books of the Bible, chapter 5 comes after chapter 4. I'm simply preaching it because it's here. We don't have a hole in our budget. We're not struggling with our budget. I'm just going to tell you what the Word of God says. And, and if this week makes you uncomfortable, you're going to hate next week. I'm just warning you. 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness without contentment is, with contentment rather, is great gain. Next week is all about love of money. So just low attendance Sunday, mark it down. I'm warning you, I'm warning you. Me and Karen will be here. But, but un, again, under the context of caring for our elders, and, and again, the, the churches in that day were ruled by elders, you know, we as a church, most of us that didn't come from churches that were ruled by elders. We're, we're teaching some, old, some new habits. We're teaching some of us old dogs, new tricks, if you will. But the, the elder was the, you can look at teacher, pastor, whatever it was. There, there, there was always a plurality of them. The church was not meant to be led by one person. There was a plurality of elders who made the decisions. And in some cases, in a very, very small flock, Maybe one or a few would lead, but, but again, the, what he's saying here is that your pastors are, are worthy of being paid so that they can give their full attention, number one, to knowing the word, but number two, shepherding the flock. I am, just so we're clear, I am, yes, I am the lead pastor here or whatever, but I am an elder. I am an elder. I sit around the table. We met this past Tuesday until what? 12 o'clock we were here, Joel. Almost. At night, not in the day. It was midnight. This isn't my agenda. We're hiring a family pastor. It isn't the one Chris wants. Not, not saying I don't want him. I'm saying I'm not getting to pick. It's in my way. I am an elder. And that's the way God has called it to be. But what he's saying here, the elders who rule well, again, qualifications, i.e. an elder who doesn't rule well wouldn't fit this bill. But elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. You go over to chapter 6, he talks about honor. You go up to 5.3, he talks about honor. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Verse 18, for Scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive it. It's okay to pay. And, and again, family. There, there are fathers, if you will, are leaders. They, 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 Hebrews 13, they watch over your soul. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, for, for they keep watch over your soul as those who will give an account. And, and again, as with widows, how we care for our elders in a church is a reflection of our heart. It's to be done to, the glory, to glorify God, and it's to show that we're different. 
And, and, and again, all of this is an outworking of what it means to receive double honor. And, and a couple of truths that I want us to see just as we walk out of here, we show elders our honor through our respect, through our respect. If you were to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12, listen to what it says. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The, the number one thing that's, that's, that, you're, that is warranted, that is deserved by an elder who rules well and works hard is respect. Respect. As you would your father in your home. Respect. But, but we also show elders our honor through our pay. I mean, you look at verse 18, that's clearly what he's saying there. Again, but again, qualifications. They must, number one, lead well. He says in verse 17, lead well. But not only, they must labor diligently in the word. And, and the reality is, again, again, this sounds real. I'm not begging for a raise. I don't want a raise. I don't need a raise. We, 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 we're fine. But how a church obeys this and how a church pursues obedience here communicates a message to the world about their priorities. Do you value being fed the word? Do you value being shepherded? That, that's the bottom line. Do, do, do we as Christians value money and possessions over truth and godliness? That's the question. You know, I, I've heard, I heard a saying as I was studying, a church said, they, this guy pastored a church, and the church said, God, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. And, and there's, a, there's a sense that, oh, pastors, they've got to live barely. That's, why? A laborer is worthy of his wage. If he's working hard, if he's shepherding, if whoever he is, and again, this is not for me, I'm not looking for anything. This is just what the Word says. You're worthy of your wage. At your job, if you do it well, why would an elder, why would a pastor, why would they not be worthy of the same? If you are at your job, why would a pastor not? And again, it's, it's back to discipline. It's back to godliness. It's, it's back to value. So not only respect and pay, but, but we also, verses 19 through 23, say we show our elders honor through our love for them in protection and confrontation. You go to verse 19 through 23, he says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Listen. Don't believe everything you hear about your elders or your church leaders. Just, just trust me. Again, this sounds self-serving, but unless you've been in my... I've not been on your shoes, you've not been in my shoes. But elders, elders will get accused of a lot of stuff. Simply because, listen, my job, the elder's job, is not to tell you what you want to hear. It's to tell you what the Word of God says and what you need to hear. And that will put us in positions where we tell you what doesn't seem loving to you, what may not seem kind to you, may not... And guess what? When they leave that meeting, that's what we're going to be accused of. Been there, done that. And you know what it becomes? My word against their word. 
And that's essentially what Paul is saying here is, look, don't rush with an accusation about your elder. I've been accused of being unloving. This church has been accused of being unloving, that I don't preach well, that I don't preach the truth, that I need to do... Look, all of it. I've been accused of all of it. And and does it hurt? Yeah, it hurts, because we're family. But the reality is, is I'll stand before God one day and give an account. Was I faithful with the word? Not did I tickle your ears. Not did I tell you what you want to hear. Was I faithful? And what Paul is saying here is don't, when you hear, well, Chris said this, or Tom said this, or Joel, look, treat it with a grain of salt. But what he's telling me and reminding me is don't be surprised when their accusation is against your elders. And I'm certain, in, in whether it be a sermon, whether it be an individual confrontation, or whatever, people had their feelings hurt, but he's saying this, careful, be careful how you receive an accusation about your elder. People don't like to be confronted, they don't like to be told what they, what they need to hear, and their tendency is to go tell others, well, Chris said this, or Chris said that. And again, it's not that we're above sinning. Verse 20, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all. He says, don't take an accusation except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Now, if a bunch of people that I've met, if like two or three people come together and they all heard me say something, I'm not above saying something unloving. I mean, I had to apologize to my brother Bobby Young just this week. I didn't respond well, and I had to apologize to him. It's not that we're above reproach. It's just simply saying, out of love, be careful how you receive an accusation against an elder. And even when you have to confront them, you do it in love. If there's unrepentant, continued sin, rebuke in the presence of all. Verse 20, so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. But how we care for our elders, how we respect them, even how we treat them in accusations, it's a family issue. Listen, if you came up and said something against Karen, what are the chances I'm going to take that? I'm not taking that. Now, if a bunch of you do, we may have to have a conversation, but she's my wife. I'm going to defend her unless proven otherwise. And it ought to be that way about our leaders. That's all Paul is saying. Unless, Unless it's validated. Two or three witnesses. But, but not only that, we show our elders honor through our careful appointment of them. That's why he says in verses 22 and 24, don't lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. Verse 24, the sins of some men are quite evident going before them to judgment. For, and for others, their sins follow after. Here's the point. We'll do the best we can with appointing our elders. Sometimes there will be sins on the front end that we can disqualify them on the front end for being an elder. Sometimes we don't know about these things and they come up on the back end. That's all Paul is saying. But deal with them in love. Deal with them in love. We'll do the best we can to be careful who we elect as elders and, 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 and within that, who we elect as deacons. And we'll do the best we can to make sure that they meet the qualifications. But sometimes things come up afterwards that we didn't know about or they weren't participating in until now and we've got to deal with them then. Sometimes our sins precede us. Hey, you can't be an elder. Sometimes they come after and we have to remove them. When we do that, do it in love. 
And, and the, the message behind all of this is just that. It's love. And, and even deeper than that, foundational bedrock is that the gospel is not just for our salvation. It's what fuels everything we do, the gospel. By grace, through faith, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Trusting every single day, not just one day and one moment of time and thinking you're okay. Waking up every day and trusting in the, the righteousness of Christ to be your righteousness. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to be the sufficient, satisfactorily payment for your sin. That, that through that you are adopted. Every single one of us in here who are believers, we're family. Family. And as such, we need to care for one another as family. Whether it's honoring those who are widows without family, whether it's sons, daughters, you honoring the parents God gave you and making a repayment. Whether it's how we treat our elders, we're family. And everything, everything goes back to the gospel. Goes back to the family of God. Again, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. John 13, 34, and 35, that you love one another. We're family. And how we treat each other within this family, it matters. For the glory of God, to the good of the gospel, it matters. 